Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn to Psalm 116. This is one of my favorite <clears throat> passages of Scripture. And we're just going to look at the, the last few verses of it uh, this morning. Psalm 116. Uh, th this entire psalm <clears throat> uh, could be categorized as a, a, a praise or a thanksgiving uh, to the Lord uh, for all that He has done, uh, for all that He is doing, for what He will do for His people. Uh, as we think about counting our blessings, often a good place to start is with the Word of God. We should be so thankful that God has chosen to speak to us and chosen to record his words uh, in a book uh, and make them available to us in our language. You know, we, we so often take for granted our Bibles. Uh, there are people groups all around the world who simply do not have a Bible in their own language. I mean, today, 2022, no Bible in their own language. We should be so very thankful that we can open up the Bible and read from God's word and be encouraged and instructed uh, we don't have to wonder about what's true or what's right. Uh, God has, has told us that. Of course, uh, the psalmist lays out so many things that God is and God does. He hears our prayer and, of course, responds to our prayers. So he has made the determination that for as long as he lives, he'll call upon the name of the Lord. I think we need to come to the place in our own lives where we, where we embrace that truth. The psalmist writes of God's delivery of mankind from a multitude of, of dangers that arise each and every day of our lives, and even from death. Uh, on certain occasions, God is faithful to deliver us. Uh, and then, after laying out all these wonderful blessings, the psalmist asks himself a question, and it's really the question that I hope that each one of us will consider today. Uh, he says to the Lord, or to himself, to his own heart, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? It's a wonderful thing to count your blessings, all right? To, to acknowledge that you are blessed. Uh, to acknowledge that you are not just blessed, but you are blessed abundantly. Again, that's what it means to count your blessings. To understand that there's, there's more than just a few. Uh, and they're more than just occasional. Uh, God's blessings are constantly being poured out upon his people in behalf of of his people, and we should be so very conscious of that, aware of that truth. And, and then what should spring from that understanding that God <clears throat> has blessed us, that God is blessing us, that God will bless us in the days ahead, uh, is this whole idea of now what? Now what should I render? What, what should be my response to the blessedness of God? What should my thanksgiving overflow with? And of course, we've been talking about it for the last few Sunday mornings, uh, this whole idea of thanks and giving. Thanks that ultimately leads to giving. And that's what we're going to talk about again this morning. Psalm 116, let's read together beginning in verse 16, and we'll read down through the end of the passage there. Uh, if you don't have... A Bible with you. Uh, the words are here on the screen at the front of the auditorium. The psalmist writes, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. 
You have loosed my bonds. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together and we'll, we'll look at these few verses. I think there's much that God wants to say to us today. Father, we are so thankful today for the multitude of blessings that we enjoy, Lord. And I pray that we would acknowledge this morning that these blessings come as a direct result of your graciousness toward us. Lord, it is so easy for us to think that somehow we have earned through our own hard work, through our uh, education, through our, our, our determination, Lord, we have, we have earned our place in society and the blessings that we enjoy. And, and Lord, I, I, I pray that today we would simply focus on the truth that everything we have has come from you as a gift, Lord. We don't really deserve the blessings that we enjoy. But Lord, you choose in your grace to lavish them upon us. And we thank you for that this morning. And we ask, Father, that not only would you remind us of just how thankful we should be each and every day for each and every day, whether those days were filled with things that we would go back and change if we had opportunity to, if we got to that point that was mentioned earlier where we just thought, can there be anything else possibly that could go wrong Today, Lord, I pray that even in those moments, we would remember to give you thanks, because perhaps that one more thing didn't go wrong, Lord, and we thank you for it. So open our hearts today, Lord, to thankfulness, to gratitude, and then, Lord, beyond that, move us to give, to give of ourselves, to give of that which you have entrusted to our care, to give to others, to give to you, Father, to give. May our thanks always be full of giving. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. <clears throat> it probably, if we took a moment to think about it, seems strange to us that in offering his thanks to the Lord, the psalmist writes of the fact that he is a servant. That's counterintuitive to the way that most modern men and women think. Uh, our idea, again, as we mentioned a moment ago, is if we work hard, if we educate ourselves, if we put in our time, we will rise to the, to the top of the ladder, uh, and we will no longer be serving, but we will be among those who are served. Uh, but of course, we know that's exactly the opposite of what Scripture says. So the psalmist speaks of his servanthood. Oh Lord, I, I am your servant, and I want you to understand something here. Uh, if we could, you know, and this is one of the things that we really can't do with complete accuracy when we're looking at the Scripture, uh, but he is not hanging his head here and saying, oh, Lord, I, I'm your servant. No, no. He's got his eyes lifted, I would think. Oh, Lord, I'm your servant. Uh, I, I'm your servant. He repeats that to, again, for emphasis' sake. 
Uh, I'm your servant. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the son of your maidservant. So not only am I your servant, not only am I just thrilled to be your servant, but I was, I was born to be a servant. You ever wonder sometimes just what you were born to do? I mean, we talk about that. I mean, we even say that of some people. We see someone who excels at something. I, I'm currently reading the, a biography of, of Jim Thorpe, the great Olympic hero at the early part of this last century. Uh, and, and there were those that said of Jim Thorpe, because of his athletic greatness, he was born to run. As a matter of fact, his Indian name means a path lit by lightning. He was born to do that. He was, he was born to run fast and, and jump high. He was, he was born to excel. Well, we talk about people like that, don't we? We were born to do that. And then, of course, those of us who don't go to the Olympics, who don't win the pentathlon and the decathlon, who don't come home with gold medals and awards from all around the world, we wonder, well, what, what was I born to do? Psalmist says, I'm, I'm your servant, Lord. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. I was born to serve. The church, I would say to you, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you've been born again to serve. Excel at serving. That's, that's what the psalmist's cry is all about. He wasn't just acknowledging this poor, pitiful state that he had found himself in, that of a, of a servant in the house of his master. No, he was speaking of the honor and the privilege that he had to be a servant in the household of his master. We've been born to be servants in the house of the Lord. No greater calling than that. I remember being so encouraged one day when I had just begun my, my Bible college training. I knew that God had called me to serve in ministry. I wasn't exactly sure what position I would take within the church or be given uh, at some point. Uh, and I began to hear about this preacher in England named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, and I read his book uh, to his students. And in one chapter of his book, he tells his, his Bible college students, his seminary students, he said, if God has called you to preach the gospel, don't stoop to be a king. In other words, what a privilege, what an honor. There is no greater calling upon one's life than to be a servant in the house of the Lord. Of course, the psalmist, as he writes these words, he's really expressing or describing his relationship with the Lord. In my daily walk with you, Lord, I'm, I'm your servant. I am called to serve you. I am to render service. I am to offer service. I am to engage in service. Service to the Lord is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. And we need to understand that. We were called to actively engage in works of service to the Lord. Jesus said of himself, he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served to serve. What an honor it was for our Lord and Savior to serve His Heavenly Father and to serve mankind laying down His life for us. Jesus told His disciples, you know, we can be really critical of, of Jesus' disciples. I mean, uh, they seem to just get it wrong almost every time. 
And don't we all? But on one particular occasion, I mean an occasion that was really nearing uh, the completion of the purpose for which Jesus had come. He was, he was trying to prepare them for His impending death, His crucifixion, His atoning sacrifice that He would make for the sins of His people. And, and they broke out into an argument over who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And we shake our heads. But isn't that what we do? We want to be great. God's kingdom. We want to we want to be we want to be somebody. We want to hold a position. We want some power in our lives. But Jesus told his disciples, he said the greatest among you will be your servant. So you want to be great in the kingdom of God? The delight to serve the Lord, delight to serve the Lord's people. Delight to lay down your life, to, to, to render service for others. Uh, and more than likely have no ability or intention of ever returning the favor. We are servants of the Lord. And, and notice this last thing. Neil mentioned last week in his message that Many servants in, in Bible days were, were servants because they, they owed a debt. They became, uh, well, they, they borrowed money uh, and they, they owed money. And so they would, uh, they would bind themselves or be bound to the one to whom they owed a debt. And they would work or serve until that debt was paid. But the, the servant of the Lord here says, after claiming twice to be his servant and then the son of his maidservant, he says, you've loosed my bonds. So in other words, this wasn't someone serving because of his indebtedness. There was no evident indebtedness. The master, the Lord, had loosed his bonds. He's not bound to serve. Rather, he's been set free to serve. There's a difference between being in debt to someone and being indebted to someone. We as Christians need to understand we are forever indebted to our Lord and Savior who gave His life so that we might be sitting here this morning. We're indebted, but we're not in debt. I, I talked to someone years ago who, who at one time and for a period of time had been so very faithful to the Lord especially in the area of giving. I, I would say that based on my uh, perspective, uh, this person gave above and beyond a tithe. Uh, they gave sacrificially. Uh, I was often amazed at their level of, of giving when it was brought to my attention. But something happened in the life of that person, and they drifted away from church and, of course, from their giving and after a while, and I don't know how long it was, but after a while, they, they kind of wanted to come back to church. But this is what was said to me. I can't come back. I owe the Lord too much money. I said, you don't owe the Lord too much money. I said, just come back. Start giving as you used to give now, today. Sadly, that's never happened. You don't owe the Lord your money. 
You're not in debt to the Lord. But you are indebted to the Lord. And you should joyfully obey his instructions concerning how you are to care for the money that he entrusts to your care. We are servants of the Lord. We must acknowledge that. We must acknowledge it with joy and delight, realizing the great honor that God has bestowed upon us to call us to himself to serve. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So we serve the Lord out of thankfulness, out of, out of gratitude. We, we delight to serve the Lord. And of course, serving will lead to the next point, sacrifice. Look at verse 17. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. Now, of course, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, this was something that went on continually. Uh, sacrifices were brought uh, to the temple. They were offered upon the altar of God. There were various types of sacrifices. There were various reasons that sacrifices would be made. There were festival and feast days when, when additional sacrifices, special sacrifices would be made. But let me tell you, this was something that went on every day uh, in, the in the service of the Lord, in the temple of the Lord. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was such a a physically exerting thing to serve as a priest in the temple of God. Did you know that priests were only allowed to serve until they were 50 years old? I believe for the most part it was because after 20 years, from 30 to 50, serving, just couldn't do it anymore. People brought their sacrifice. They brought an animal. They brought a portion of their harvest. They brought something and really the idea that's being conveyed here is that they gave it away. They brought it to the house of God and they gave it away. If they offered a goat from their flock, one that was perfect, that was spotless, that was without blemish, there was no deformity, no, no, no indication that anything whatsoever, it was, it was to be the best of what they had to offer, the best of that year's flock. They brought that animal, and they offered it to the Lord, of course, through the mediation of the, the priest. And that sacrifice would be totally consumed. Most of it would be offered on the altar of God, burnt up, and that which was left over would be eaten by the priests. But the one who brought that offering offered it expecting nothing. In return. So a sacrifice, as we think about what it means to, to sacrifice, again, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'm thankful to the Lord for, and just fill in the blank, whatever you're thankful to the Lord for. Now we, we bring our sacrifice to the Lord and we offer it to Him with no expectation of anything in return other than this overwhelming sense of peace with God. When we obey the Lord, when we honor the Lord, when we serve the Lord, when we sacrifice our lives one for another, there is this sense that should overwhelm us and characterize us, this sense of peace with God. It doesn't mean that we won't have days where things go wrong. It doesn't mean that we won't have periods of time in our life where it seems that everything's going wrong. 
But it means that in the midst of whatever it is we're dealing with, there will be peace, a sense of well-being. So out of our thanksgiving, out of our thankfulness and gratitude to the Lord, comes this understanding that now we are to serve and to serve with joy. We're to, we're to sacrifice. We're to, we're to give away that which God has entrusted to us again. Not expecting anything in return other than this sense of well-being. I've done what God commanded me to do. I can go home and rest and rejoice that I've honored the Lord today. And of course, he says, not only do we offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving, but we call on the name of the Lord. That's at least the second time, perhaps more times it's mentioned in Psalm 116 that the psalmist says, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. You know, what it means to call on the name of the Lord is not simply to pray. It certainly implies that. But to call upon the name of the Lord means to acknowledge God for all that he is, for all that he has revealed himself to be. When I'm in trouble, I can call upon the Lord because he has told me, I'll be your help in times of trouble. When I am mourning the loss of a loved one, I can call upon the Lord because the Lord has said, I'll be your comfort in all of your afflictions. I'll comfort you in all all your afflictions. When I need provision, I can call upon the Lord because he has declared himself to be my provider, my protector. We could just go on and on. Calling upon the name of the Lord means acknowledging who God has revealed himself to be and resting in that. Resting in that fact. Knowing that no matter what may be going on around me, Ultimately, all is well because my God is working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That's who he is. And so when we call upon his name, that's what we do. We call upon who he is, upon who he has declared himself to be. Verse 18 says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. Vows were something that were promised uh, or declared, an act that I declared I was going to fulfill. I'm going to do this. Uh, Of course, the psalmist is talking about vows that he's made to God. And let me just tell you this, the Bible says it's, it's better not to vow a vow than to vow a vow and not fulfill it. But to we, New Testament saints, there is an implied vow when we become a part of the church. And you know, we become a part of the church ceremonially as we're baptized, right? We've talked about that so many times. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts and lives as Savior and Lord after repenting of our sin. And then we're baptized. And we're baptized, again, into the body of Christ. We become a part of the family of God. That's that's part of the picture that's taking place up there. We're we're born into the family of God. And implied in that are certain vows or certain promises. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says it this way. Paul writes, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And here's the thing. 
The reality is when you became a Christian and when you joined the church, there were certain things that you had decided in your heart. There were certain expectations that came along with church membership. Uh, and let me, let me just name a few of them here that I, I think are implied in our, our joining the church, our becoming a part of the body of Christ. I'm a member of the body of Christ and I will not only enjoy the blessings of being a member of the body of Christ, but I will embrace the responsibilities that come with that. All too often in the day in which we live, people are primarily concerned with the blessings that will accrue to them by becoming a member of a church. That's how most people look for churches. They look for churches that will meet their needs. And I'm not saying that a church shouldn't meet your needs. It should. But I'm saying that implied in your joining the church is a vow that I'm going to enjoy the blessings of this church. My needs are going to be met, but you know what? I'm also going to take part in shouldering the responsibilities of this church. That's what it means to pay my vows to the Lord. Again, I use the word satisfaction, and I use that word in this sense. Our satisfying, our indebtedness, our debt to the Lord. Again, not that we are in debt to the Lord, but we are indebted to the Lord. And so we satisfy that through taking part in the responsibilities that come with church membership. Another responsibility that we indicate in joining the church is that I'll regularly attend worship services in order to be encouraged and to be an encouragement to my brothers and sisters in Christ. When you prayed to receive Christ, you were praying to become a part of the body of Christ. There was an implied promise or vow that I will take part in the worship alongside my brothers and sisters in Christ, alongside all the other members of the body of Christ. This idea that I can be a part of the church and never gather together with her to worship is absurd. It's an implied vow that I have made to the Lord. I'm going to gather for worship. I mean, the Lord even tells us we're to do that, right? Fail not to assemble yourselves together, as is the habit of some. We're to gather for worship. We're also to use the gifts that God has given me to build up the body of Christ. Again, implied in becoming a part of the body of Christ is that I am going to exercise my gifts as a blessing to the body of Christ. We need each and every one of you to do that. God has given us all gifts, and we're to exercise those gifts as we build up the body of Christ together. Another implied vow is I will cheerfully and generously give to the financial support of the ministries and missions of my church. Tithing is not an option, Christian. It's not a suggestion. I know that we're not under the Old Testament law. We're under grace. 
And I believe if we understand grace properly, it will say to us, oh, I'm under grace. It will not say to us, oh, I'm under grace. I don't have to give a tithe. No, what it will say to us is this. Oh, I'm under grace. I am free. The Lord has loosed my bonds. I can give all I want and more. That's the attitude. That's how we satisfy and pay our vows to the Lord. In other words, the psalmist is simply saying this, I'm going to fulfill my obligation to the Lord and to the church family. And that's what all of us should determine to do. I'm going to, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to do what my declaration of being a follower of Christ implies. If you're a Christian today, if you call yourself a Christian, then these things that I've just gone through, they ought to all be a part of who you are, what you do. At a minimum, these should be the things that characterize your life. I, simple thing, and not to pat myself on the back, but there is a lady in my neighborhood who walks her dog every morning. And uh, she's not the only one that does that, but this one in particular. And one of the things that made me notice this woman is that for whatever reason, rather than just staying on the sidewalk, when she walks her dog past my house, she comes up in my driveway. And I've just often wondered about that. Well, it wasn't too long ago that I was headed out to the office. It wasn't a Sunday morning, but it was in the week sometime. And I walked out, and I mean, there she was at the end of the sidewalk, you know, in, in my driveway. And I just smiled and said, good morning. And she said, good morning, and like nothing was wrong. And I guess it wasn't. And then she turned around and she said, are you a preacher? And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. I've been a pastor at Calvary Hill Baptist Church since 1988. She says, you know, I've noticed by your Sunday schedule that you must be a preacher. Never would have thought. I don't think I've ever seen her coming out to my car on a Sunday morning. I'm, I'm going a little earlier on Sunday mornings than the rest of the week. And I say that to say this. She noticed something about my pattern, my routine. And it said to her, hey, that guy, he must be a preacher or involved in a church. All of these things that I mentioned... Regularly attending worship, utilizing the gifts that God has given you to build up the body of Christ, cheerfully and generously giving toward the financial support of this church. You know what those things indicate? They indicate that you are indeed a Christian. Anybody that took a look would be able to say, hey, I noticed by the way you give, you must be a Christian. I noticed by the way that you talk and serve and Expend your time. You, you, must, you must be a member of a church somewhere. <clears throat> Pay your vows to the Lord. And then he, he says this, I'm going to do that in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord. This is our sanctuary. This is the house of the Lord. Again, I understand and you understand that this building does not house the Lord. But every Sunday morning it houses the people of God. The church of God. So the idea here is that our thanks to God and our giving that results from that is done 
primarily in conjunction with and in company with our brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we pay our vows? Well, we do it in the presence of his people. How do we keep our promise of, of giving and serving and loving as we should? Well, we do it here. We love one another. Doesn't mean that we don't love others out there. We should, but our primary focus in our giving is, is to give here within the people of God. We give here among those who walk with us, among those who understand us, among those who agree with us. That's what those words mean in the presence of all these people. You know, people out there in the world who don't know the Lord, they, they may not understand why you do what you do for the Lord, why you get up every Sunday morning and go to church. They, they may think that's silly. Sunday morning's a time to, to rest, to sleep in, to drink coffee, maybe, maybe mow your yard if you get really energetic, but it's not a time to go sit in a worship service, but you go sit in a worship service among the people of God, and you're blessed because of it. It, it, it's also carried out in the courts of the house of the Lord, the psalmist says. Again, our priority in giving should be to the ministries and missions of our church. It sounds, I don't know, selfish perhaps. But I've often said, and I'll say it again this morning, if you need a place, if you're looking for a place to give your money, give it here. The American Cancer Society is a wonderful organization, and there's a great need out there. I'd love to see cancer cured, wouldn't you? But when the American Cancer Society has a fundraising drive, they call upon 300 million Americans to give. In other words, they got a bunch of people that they can ask. When I sent out letters about our Christmas offering, I sent it to just over 100 addresses. So the American Cancer Society, a great charitable organization, much needed, has 300 million people they can ask. We have 100. Your priority in giving should be here. I'm not saying don't give to the American Cancer Society. But if you have to choose, give here. Bring it into the house of the Lord. That's what Malachi said, Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, into the church, into the sanctuary. Why? That there may be food in my house. This is where you're fed. This is where your children are fed. This is where we grow up into all that God wants us to be. You're giving, you're serving. Your time, your talents should be used here first and foremost. And then the last thing, praise the Lord. How should I feel about this? Well, my attitudes towards such thankfulness and such giving should be one of delight and joy. What should I think when I'm called upon to give? And, and to give something a little extra at Christmas time, I ought to be just thrilled to take part in whatever way I can. There's a need in my church. There's a need in our church. My attitude should be, whatever I can do to help meet that need, I'm going to joyfully do. Because I love my church. 
And I want the needs in my church to be met. That should be our attitude. Praise the Lord that I've been called upon to give and that I have opportunity to give. The Lord has blessed me with the ability to give. A couple of weeks ago when I talked to you, I read those passages that, that said the very reason that God has entrusted his wealth to you is that you might be generous to others. Praise the Lord. Again, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, the end of that verse that I read the beginning of just a little while ago, he said that we should give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We should be delighted to give, joyful to give. It's the difference in this. The attitude that many people have, I used to have this attitude before I was a Christian. Oh, you mean I've, we've been invited to church? I have to go to church? That's not the right attitude. The right attitude is, hey, I get to go to church this morning. I get to fellowship with the people of God. I get to sing praises to God. I get to sit under the teaching and preaching of God's word. I get to pray together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I get to be encouraged and to be an encouragement today. You don't have to come to church. You get to come to church. Again, it's not this attitude of, well, you know, They've asked me to come to church for a work day on Saturday. I guess I'll go. No, there's work being done at the church. God's people are gathering. I'm thrilled to go take part in that if I have the opportunity to go. I'm thrilled to do it. I don't have to tithe to my church. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to invest in that which is eternal. To lay up treasures in heaven, our attitude toward the paying of our vows, toward our relationship to the Lord as a servant, to giving as we ought to give, should be joy, delight. So, what shall we render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward us? Are you daily offering thanks? Are you daily giving to the Lord, I pray the Lord will move your heart this morning to honor him, to honor him with everything that you are, again, and everything that he has entrusted to your care. You know, if we allow him to do that, if we just determine that that's what's going to be, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to give sacrificially, and I'm going to do it with a sense of joy and cheerfulness, and I'm going to do it right here in my church. That's where I'm going to focus my time and attention, I think we'd be amazed at all that God would do with us.